got to hit record on the protectors podcast we are back again another world-class author two world-class authors one co-host one primary guest today we're talking with ryan steck you've seen him you've heard him you've read him and we are joined by amy adair amy adair why do i always call you amy amy adair it's all right <laughs> i'm never going to get your name down amy ever that's why i call you am but ryan hey welcome to the show brother Thank you, man. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's great having you on, man. I like talking books. Half the times, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about with books, but sometimes I like talking to authors and people that are around books because we just have good conversations. Yeah. I Listen, am, that's okay, half the time, we don't know what the hell we're writing about. That's what editing and second drafts are for, man. <laughs> you know, that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about is editing. Let's start off with yeah. that is because like you've been an editor for years. Yeah, and we always hear about editors and I don't and I'm always like in my mind, I always envision editors as like almost like the proofreader, the proof of concept <laughs> type of person, the one who's kind of going through it, making sure things are valid, make sure they make sense. But in your world, what is what is your concept of an editor? Well, listen, like uh, like Amo would be able to tell you there's so many different types of editors. Um I don't do like proofreading and grammatical stuff. I do, but that's not my primary focus. That's that's a copy editor's job, and God bless them because boy, do we need them. Uh, no, I've 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 got a decade under my belt as a line and developmental editor. I've worked with a lot of really talented authors, some New York Times bestsellers, some that are still trying to find their first agent, and it's an enjoyable experience because it allows me to be involved in so many different worlds, so many different universes where. I don't have to do all the work. I can kind of say, Hey, you know, it'd make this really awesome. And then dump like six months worth of work on someone else's lap. And I can go to the next call. Right. That's, that's easy. It is infinitely harder being the author, but I will tell you as an editor for the last 10 years, I'll have clients. I don't know what the, the right word or appropriate word is, but I would say some are um, a little bit on the needy side where they can't do anything without talking to you. And I'm like, I swear to God, I would never be that guy if I was ever an author. And then here I am. Uh, book two's coming out. Book three is done, turned in. I'm almost done with book four. And I am that guy. I am so that guy to my editor. God bless her. Her name is Sarah Risky at Tyndale. And I, I couldn't even write my name without her now. That's how bad it is. Seriously. I completely understand it. I've gotten to the point now where, and it's good to have that relationship with your editor, but mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine putting out a book without her. And she has this very unique ability. And I don't know if you do this to some of your authors now that you're editing of making me feel like I'm in grade school again. Like, uh, yeah. like I, I get a little bit cocky. Like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to throw down this manuscript and it's going to, she's going to be like, yes, this is the greatest thing I've ever read. And then I'll get a note back. Like, yeah, you don't want to use past participle here. And I'm like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. past participle. <laughs> like, mine is, <laughs> mine are the dumbest things imaginable. And I, I don't know how it slips by me. Like I wrote book three and turn it in. And my editor, and she says everything's so nice to me because she's like, Ryan, this is great. You know, Hey, you know how you mentioned that there's 18 months between books. Don't you think the character should get older too? Like they're all the same age, you know? And I'm like, Hey, how'd I miss that? Like, I am so 
Not even, or I'll do like really dumb things. This makes me sound so stupid. I promise that we edited it all out, but I'll say that it's been 18 months, but it's winter. And she's like, you know, 18 months would definitely be summer. And I'm like, shoot. Uh, okay. So it's like, it's all the little things that are so simple. And I'm like, every author, you're so focused on like the big details. Does the plot make sense? Does it, is, is the story fast enough? Are the characters being developed that I, I forget how old they are and, and how long between each book and what season it is. And it's, I just, yeah, I, um, uh, I, Sarah risky is a huge part of what I do. And I'm very thankful to have her because she makes me look really good. How do you keep track of it all? You know, I, I love asking that question to authors. Cause some of them are like, you know, I use sticky notes. I use this, I use that. I almost think like I envision like a big board, like a whiteboard and you got like post-its yeah. and, dates and timelines and making sure like geography matches and, and this mm -hmm. and that. And I'm really starting to understand like the site visits and everything. So people can get the, the geography, right. But how do you keep track of it? I take a lot of notes. Um, and, and look, not to make the whole podcast about her though. We could, and I'd be fine with it. Uh, but my editor, Sarah Risky, takes even more notes. I didn't know that till this book. I had like turned some stuff in and she goes, hey, there's timeline issues. And she sent me like pages and pages of notes. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad you have these. Uh, because you don't think in terms of <clears throat> when you're writing that first book, it's just a dream, man. You're like, I would love to be an author. I would love for someone to read my work. You really don't think about the grind of four, five, six books, six years later. And that's kind of where I'm starting to be now. Like my second book's just coming out, but I'm on book four, you know, internally, these things stay in the pipeline for a while. Um, and you forget so much. And I kind of didn't realize until a few months ago, I should probably be taking even better notes. When I saw the notes that she had of my stuff that I was like, oh, wow. And so I actually have just started doing that. I do whiteboard out a lot. Um, I have sticky notes all over my office, but it's, it's two different worlds, two different hats. When I'm an editor, I give really good advice to my clients, like always outline, hit your word count every day, really focus on what you're doing. When I take that hat off and I put on an author hat, I am the world's biggest hypocrite for sure. I don't outline at all. Like I cannot outline and I will spend hours on a zoom call with a client walking them through an outline. And then they're like, but I can't do it. I'm like, well, you have to, you can. And then I'll get off and I'll put on my author hat. And it's like, yeah, I'm not going to outline this. I told my agent on my second book, I was like, I don't outline. And he goes, yeah, you're, you're going to outline. And I was like, I don't know. I'm just going to write it. And he goes, so you have like a really big payment tied to your outline being turned in. You're probably going to want to do it. So I, that was the first outline I ever did. Um, and it was, it was purely for the payment and I left it pretty vague. So that way I had a lot of, cause I didn't know what I was going to do yet. I mean, that's part of the fun in the writing process for me is I don't know what's going to happen. So the reader can't know for sure. You know, that's, that's kind of my mindset. And I work in books all day, every day. If I'm not editing, I'm covering them on the books by. I don't want everything planned out. I want time to really just sit and see what happens. And I'm very much um, a, a pantser by that nature. And the fun for me is seeing what the characters do next and where the story's going. And I sort of just let it happen and, and roll with it. And it's, um, 
I'm it probably is terrible to like be my agent and publisher when they have to deal with that, but it's just it's just how I work, man. I have I you know I had a really thought, you know, once in a while I get a thought. And it was about like, you know, keeping track of everything. Mm-hmm. And the big word nowadays is AI, chat GPT and in the virtual world. <laughs> and I almost wonder if like if you had some sort of AI virtual assistant to keep track of things where you could just type in and be like, what are you to say? Hey, like you say, Hey Siri, or Hey, shh, I'm not going to say her name and Erica she'll say something to me. Hey Alexa. But you know, it's like, um, I heard, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, you almost wonder, you almost wonder if you could have something like that where you're sitting down. It's like, Hey, blah, blah, blah. What is so-and-so's name? Or what was their middle name? And where were they earned? And and what is the geography? See, like that here? part would be cool. <clears throat> if I could be like, hey, Alexa, what age did I make this character in this book? That would be cool. Um, I would say there's probably a lot of writers desperate on deadline when they're looking at, I got to turn this book in next week and I still got 30,000 words to write. Like, hey, Alexa, can you write the ending? That I bet you there's a lot of writers desperate like that. I just started to wonder... Will critics and book reviewers be obsolete? So I I did the whole chat AI thing and and then told it to write me a book review and I'm feeling pretty secure in my second job. Um, oh, yeah. I don't I don't think I don't think they're ready to replace us for that just yet. But you bring an interesting point. That'd be really cool to have a digital assistant that could like tell you stuff about your own books. It would be. I do like the idea of the digital assistant. I've never thought of it that way, but I also really love what you said about being a pantser. And that's not something you, you've heard anybody really say. It's not, not so much about flying by the seat of your pants when you're planning, but if you don't know what's happening, then your audience is going to be surprised as well. And I think that's a yeah. really great way to look at it. But yeah, it does complicate things a little bit when you're trying to remember everything and then trying to explain to an agent or an editor where you're going. I think we should patent this instead of uh, uh, Alexa. We call it Jason. Uh, Jason, uh, the book AI. There's a market for that with authors. I promise you that that's, that's a viable business venture. Just saying. Yeah. Just that. And it'll give you a random gun fact in between every question. And then it will really be the Jason AI. That'd be good too. I had a, um, yeah, and that's a, that's such a cool topic we talked about was uh, I had Andrews and Wilson on last week, the week before. And we were talking about um, AI, and one of their their main antagonists is basically AI. But the guy we yep. had on as their um, as a co-host was a guy named Matt Swenson. He was Homeland Security Investigations, and he put together like a case map program. So when you're doing criminal investigations, it kind of tells you like the next next steps you could take. And I'm almost thinking, I'm like, if you have like a case type system for authors. Mm-hmm. Where you could like write down like, okay, this is going to be the protagonist, the antagonist, and then the basic storyline. And, but then it keeps track of it, but then it keeps you, it could run something like, okay, this has been done in such and such book back in like, you know, Vince Flynn's book back in like 19, whatever, yep. or this has been done in someone else's book. So not only is it like keeping track of all your characters, it's not really the plagiarism, but this story, the arc, it's been done. All right, it's only been down like 30%. I think we're onto something here. We, we are because there's no there's there's no original concepts anymore. There's just your take on it. And I love that you brought up the gun fact. So can I tell you my most embarrassing oh, gun no. fact story? I'm I've never told to it publicly. This. Yes, please okay. do. It may it's so bad. It's one of those cringe moments for me. 
I was doing, so, so I can't give away the scene or the plot because it's a future book. But the bottom line is there's a very specific scenario where a character needs to put someone down quickly. I went to the my local gun shop, found the gun I was going to use, and started talking to a guy about it. This is totally true. My wife was with me. It's the craziest thing. And he goes, so this gun is supposed to put this big guy down. And I said, yeah. And he calls out his employee who was shot in the face with that exact gun oh, when they were robbed the year before. And, and he goes, he took around right through the eye and I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And he goes, I know what you're thinking. What gun would have dropped me, you know, enough that I wouldn't have got back up and returned fire. And I'm like, I wasn't even thinking, I, I think my, I didn't have a thought. I think I was, it was just blanking there. And he was like, come here this is the one you want to put a big boy down. And I was like, I, I couldn't get over the whole exchange and how it happened. And sure enough, like I went home and, and Googled it and the whole news article came up and I was like, I felt so bad. Like as I went to go write that scene, I was like, I got, I can't use that gun because that one clearly, oh, Ryan, you know, and next I time you, so you know what, my, my email and I'll give you my phone number. Next time you have the gun question, just give me a call. Oh, I, you're gonna regret you'd be that. so surprised though. You'd be so surprised on calibers and how, pe and you know, and that, I love throwing names down because like, you know, you talk to so many of these different authors and you guys know is like, if they get anything wrong about a gun, you are like, you'll never hear the end of it ever. Um, I think it was like Mark Rainey. Like yep. people are still writing him for like 10 years later about something, something he did wrong somewhere. And the, the gun nuts are, are very serious. So are the car ones. I put mm -hmm. the wrong tires on a vehicle and heard about it from a reader uh, in fields of fire. And I'm like, you know, hold on a sec. Cause people can change their tires. Okay. I didn't necessarily say it came stock that way. Like I, you start to get like defensive and I just wrote back very polite. Like, thank you so much for pointing that out. Um, I will definitely nail the tires on the next one. I promise. But they, people really notice anything but there's certain groups and the gun people for sure and i and i totally get it but like yeah you put a safety on a glock you will never hear the end of that that's a fact or you know there you have to leave a little bit of allowance for the guy you met have just been mm. maybe he was a superhero in disguise i mean not many people get shot in the eye and live to tell about it so i think you'd have been safe I couldn't believe it happened to me. Like the whole, like when he called the guy out and I see him walking over and I'm like, whoa, what do we got here? You know, this is okay. And when it's just like, like, what are the odds of that happening? You know, like, trust me, this gun doesn't work. You know and I'm like? I believe you. <laughs> I, was, I mean, what do you, what do you say to that? You know? Wow. And the you dude, go, and the you guy offer to hero. buy him a lottery ticket. Uh, wow. he, he's such a hero and he's such a good guy. He spent like probably two hours with me um in the gun shop in the range after that and i really liked the guy but it was just it was just how odd you know the whole exchange was like what are the chances that that would have occurred and happened and you know it's it's wild if i would have wrote that in a book people would have been like that's probably too big a coincidence they uh you brought up a, a heck of a point too is getting out there and talking to real people you know, when we're, uh, I, I'm very stovepiped. Like when you look at like certain things and even your YouTube search history, it kind of very narrowly focuses it on things. Like when you're doing research, like me with like trying to learn photography, it, it's just focusing on like the same eight or nine content creators, but to get out there and really meet people and talk to people, go to gun shops, go to auto dealers, go here, go there, do your site visits, 
to, but talk to like real people. It, it has to spark like just different creativity. It really does. I would say it's a, it's a good thing that you do that because I would submit more people are losing that factor, that kind of mm. interpersonal skill and the ability or the desire to go and actually have a face to face. I love to people watch, you know, and just observe other human beings and the things that you'll pick up. I was getting my kids donuts the other day and I've never met a man more pissed off in my life at the donut ladies. And I was just like, I just leaned in for a second and was like, excuse me. So I could get a real good look at him. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to kill him in a book for sure. Like this dude, I mean, literally yelling and cursing out the donut ladies and uh, was telling him like, this is so dumb. And I can't believe you work here. I don't even know why I'm here having to pick up these donuts. just, just going off on him, man. And I'm like, I don't know what happened to this dude that led to this moment, but wow. You know, and I, I really people observe and I don't think I'm that creative, like inside my own imagination. I really need the prompting. So when I see that guy, I'm like, all right, I got a villain for a future book. Like I can definitely, he might not be mad about donuts. He'll be mad about something, but he's going to look like that guy. And, but I do that, you know, um, heroes, uh, characters interact with each other in my books. I, I base literally everyone off of someone like I've observed or seen or met. Yeah. The uh, you brought up a great aspect in there too is like faith. You know, you wonder like what is this guy having like a crisis in his life or or what drew him to that point? And like a lot of the books out there are you know not a lot but some are are moving to have like some sort of faith integration into it, where you can see kind of the characters aren't just two dimensional. They're not good. They're not bad. They're gray. And you know, you're bringing that faith based aspect. And is hmm. Lethal Range going to have the same type of you know impulse to have faith integrated throughout it? With their protagonists, you know, it's interesting because <clears throat> um, I, these are not Christian thrillers by any means. But if there's one thing that I've learned, I mean, it's a thriller. I, I just think of it that way. This is an action thriller. But there's definitely, um, I would say that it, a lot of the the servicemen and women that I know, even fellow authors. There's a lot of them that have really embraced faith, especially on the battlefield. And I've talked to them a lot about that. You know, what are those moments before? And uh, Joel Rosenberg tells a real good story about a, a guy who was an atheist and, you know, a plane was going down and he starts, you know, crying out, Lord, Jesus, save us. And he was like, where'd that come from? You know? And so what I liked, what I couldn't get over was this idea that Red would his father-in-law. So my hero, Matthew Red's a former Marine Raider comes back to his little hometown in Montana for the first time in a decade um, to investigate the death of his adopted father in fields of fire in lethal range. He's put roots down. He's running his, uh, his dad's cattle ranch. He's married, has a kid, but his father-in-law is a preacher. And in this book, red's enemies, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Well, he's got a lot of enemies that team up, become friends, and they bring a war right to his front door. So what I couldn't get over was this idea that you'd go sit in church on Sunday and listen to your father-in-law preach about not being violent, thou shall not kill, stuff like that. And then on Monday, someone's shooting an RPG through your door, and you got to go right to battle with them. And I just sort of liked the dynamic there and playing that off of each other. I also thought, I don't think faith should be like a taboo subject. But I think it needs to be handled and done in a way that's kind of realistic. Um, and and I don't mean this in a derogatory way whatsoever, but like Matthew Red is not like a Bible thumper. He's a door kicker who's hearing 
the, uh, about faith for the first time in his life and embracing these things. But there's almost a, a humor element to like the moral conundrum that he faces of what he's being taught and what he has to do. And that was something I wanted to explore. You know, the adage or the, the saying that there are no atheists in foxholes. Yeah. It's the same thing with battlefields. I mean, when you deploy it into a combat zone or any, you know, and you'll see a lot of people that, you know, face life and death every day yep. kind of start embracing that. And I could see how a protagonist would be like, okay, I may die. Where am I? Where am I focused with my faith? And, you know, he, now it makes me think about all these other protagonists throughout all these other books that we all read. And you're like, huh, you know, it shouldn't, it's not a taboo subject. People, it, you no. could, it could be like in any type of faith you want. I mean, you know, it doesn't necessarily well, have to be like a God. No, exactly. And there, there's brief mentions a lot of time with other characters, right? Like when you read them, um, oh, they grew up Catholic or whatever, like it'll be touched on, but it's not any a focal point. I don't, I don't want to say it is a focal point necessarily in my books, but it's a theme that, you know, I don't shy away from. <clears throat> um, another good author friend of mine, uh, big shout out, his name's Joshua Hood. So between Lethal Range is out August 8th, and then book three comes out June 4th next year. Fun fact, the last three words of Lethal Range reveal the title for book three. and But in between there, I have this novella coming out called Red Christmas, R-E-D-D, because my hero's name is Matthew Red. And um, it's a prequel to Fields of Fire. What I wanted to show was how an 18-year-old kid is brought in the Marines, experiences combat for the first time. What I wanted to show was the process that you go through to become the hardened operator you will meet in Fields of Fire. And I realized it needed to be a novella because it was a heavy subject for me. Like all joking aside, I like to laugh. It was the hardest thing I've ever written. I wanted to show death on the battlefield, what it's like to, you know, ride into battle and, and discharge your weapon. And, it, and my dad was in Vietnam and, you know, I talked to him and um, Josh Hood was a really, really good uh, friend for me to bounce things off of. He's former 82nd Airborne. His book, uh, The Guardian, just came out. He's done a lot of fantastic books. But when I said to him, hey, I want to I make sure I get this right. You know, what is it? What is it like? And he really broke down what it was like going to combat for the first time where I was like, is it OK to show these guys as being nervous or scared? You know, I didn't serve and I don't want people to look at like, oh, that's how you think we are. And he's like, brother, I was so nervous riding in that Humvee like I was shaking. I didn't know if I was going to pass out. if I was going to have a heart attack. I didn't know if I would just collapse you know, I don't know if I'd live or die. I just prayed. And then next thing I knew you hop out and you just do what you're trained to do. And it just sort of takes over. And so Josh helped me uh, navigate those, those minefields a lot because I wanted to get it right. And so I, so to your point, Jason, yeah, I think, um, I think it's not an uncommon thing. Like you said, um, for, for these men and women that, sort of face death on the daily yeah to have you know uh, to have faith uh in something bigger yeah i think i think that's a pretty common thing once you start thinking about bullets like the two-way gun range uh, whether that's on the u.s streets or whether that's soconus uh, overseas there is a lot of faith that jumps into it like okay if one of these things hits my dome and i'm done mm -hmm. where am i going so yeah it's so true. There are no atheists in foxholes. Yep. And if there are, it's very, very slim. 
everybody always reaches for something, whether or not it's a Christian faith or a Muslim faith or faith or any other type of faith, some type of faith and some sort of like being out there. So yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. And I like that books aren't shying away from it anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, man. It's real. You know what I mean? I think we need to cover real things. Well, and that's that leaves us fodder forever because in a lot of cases, reality is is stranger than fiction. So you can draw yeah. from that forever. So the realities of combat in this case, you know, most people think it you would probably be blowing out of proportion or trying to make it more grandiose than it is, but mm. reality is often worse than what we can ever write in a book. It's infinitely worse right now. If you turn on the news, not to be political, because I I, I definitely don't do that, but whether you're on the right or the left, if you would have wrote things it, it, like who Trump and where it, the way he talks, if you'd have wrote that in a book, whether you love him or hate him, if you'd have wrote that 15 years ago, people would be like a president would never talk like this. If you wrote about Biden with Hunter, Hunter Biden, everything going on right now, people are like, there's no way, there's no way that would ever happen, you know? And so I think it's almost harder to write fiction now because it, it, like people are so desensitized now to like to like the real world. There's almost a higher threshold for like realistic um, scenarios in fiction than it is in real life. It's like Doc Brown finding out Ronald Reagan's president in 1955. Like, you know, the actor, mm-hmm. yeah, like the things that were strange are now are every day. Yeah. It's, it's uh, like, yeah. it's harder to come up with a good conspiracy to be honest with you. It really is. Yeah. And you well, know, like, it's got to be harder for him, you know, for you, Ryan. I mean, okay, so you started as a sports critic, correct? Yeah, yeah. And then you became a critic, and then you became the real book spy and evolved into, let's see, the godfather of the thriller genre, and now you're writing your own book. So you've literally seen everything that the genre has to offer. So what kind of challenges that does that present to you when it comes to yeah. coming up with a story? So many, um, so many. That is why when I wanted to write, I was like, dang, I can't think of anything that I haven't covered, worked on, read. And so what I started thinking about was um, Matthew read as a character was with me for a long time. So he was created when I was in 10th grade. Um, I had this, uh, we had this really awesome intern in my English class and she came in and was young and pretty and we were all distracted and it was so cool. And she's a dear friend of mine now. And her name is Shay Vanderstelt Wentz. And she was like, look, fine. I don't care. Just go home and write about something. I'll, everyone go home, write a short story. I don't care if you swear. I don't care if there's violence. Just go home and, you know, do your best. Bring it. Turn it in. That was like the wrong thing to tell a room of 15 year olds. You know what I mean? Like everyone. I mean, they could have just titled every short story the F word like that. It was everyone was just swearing. Everyone's cursing. And I didn't realize I took it seriously until like I was an adult and I looked back. I was trying to do all the things I'm still trying to nail character development, putting together a plot. And I just remember I was so serious. All my friends are like writing curse words. And I'm like, all right, hold on. I'm trying to figure out how to make this work. And I wrote about this, this teenager named Matthew red, who was a vigilante and had to protect his school from uh, a killer. And I can remember the poor kid that had to, I found out the next day it was a peer to peer assignment. So this poor kid, Trenton Hearn had to read mine out loud in class and he kept stopping. Cause he was like, 
you could tell like this is pretty iffy. Like, should I be reading this? And she kept saying, go ahead. you know, we'll finish it. I was so proud of it. I was like, I feel like I crushed the story. The next day I got called down to the principal's office, which was not like a big thing. I was the troublemaker in high school, but the superintendent was there. The principal was there, the vice principal and both my parents. And I was like, all right, I don't know for sure what I did, but this is going to be bad. And I had the parents, I don't know, like about you guys, but I had the parents was like, if you're in trouble at school, you're in trouble at home. So all I kept thinking is there goes my whole summer. Like I'm definitely going to get nailed. And we came in and, and they had my story in hand and I couldn't figure out why everyone was so mad. And the superintendent was like, it's way too violent, way too much language. We can't let this slide. And my mom is the sweetest woman in the world. And, and the first one to kind of, she, she was always hard on me, but in a good way, you know what I mean? And, um, I remember it was the first time she stuck up for me where she said, what was the assignment? And so they kind of laid it out and she goes, so he did the assignment and they were like, well, he went way overboard and beyond with it. And she goes, well, where were the limitations in the assignment? You know? And so she really went to bat for me. And at the end of the day, they were like, yeah, we can't not do anything. So you're suspended for a week. And it was the only time I was ever suspended where uh, I got to treat it like a vacation. I was at home playing video games and, and hanging out. And once I got married, so I'm married now, I have six kids and I started thinking, what would this kid, Matthew Red, be like as an adult? When you're armed with that new perspective on life, I thought, where would he be? So I was talking to my agent one time and I'm like, you know, I really want to write something, but I can't think of anything. CIA's played out everything. I mean, there's, there's no good stories left. And he's like, well, there's always good stories, you know? So I started thinking, all right, what about location? We never see Mitch Rapp or Jason Bourne out West. We never see these guys in the wild West. And there's something about the West that just, just calls me, which makes no sense. Cause um, I'm a total city boy. And like when our power went out recently, my oldest son was like, dad, he called nine one one. And I'm like, honey, that's only for emergencies. And he's like, we have no internet. It's an emergency. And I'm like, that's not what they mean. And so that's my life. So, but there's something about unplugging and being off the grid that is so appealing to me in theory it would never actually work for me. That's where the imagination kicks in and comes into play. And so once I was thinking about out West, we never see that. Well, out West, when you need backup, that is at best, probably hours away at worst days. And so the, the, the danger is heightened. <clears throat> everything, the tension, everything is heightened out there. And I thought, okay, that's a good setting. We never see these characters out there. And I wanted to revisit this, this, this guy, Matthew red. So, I sort of took it from there. By the way, the principal that suspended me is now my kid's principal. Uh, I have one high schooler and I gave him a book and told him jokes on you. I got a week off school and a book deal out of this kid. So it all worked out. And uh, no, he's actually very supportive. He's a good guy, but yeah. Please tell me you still have a copy of that story. Cause I, I would really love to read what got you suspended. <laughs> you know, I think my mom does somewhere. Everyone, a lot of people have asked for it. And my mom was one of those mothers that saved everything. And I'm like, we really got to find that story because even I am curious about it now, but, um, but that's wild to me that he, so he's been with me all these years, man. And yeah, I couldn't think of anything that I could do with a, with a Mitch rap, or a Jason Bourne or Scott Harvath or James Reese until I realized, let me go put them somewhere. We never see those guys operate. And that opened so many doors. You know, you guys are starting to get me into trying to, maybe I should write a fiction book. I've always sure. had this like concept in my head. I'm not going to say it online, but you know, but 
I could use my AI to help me with it, put it together. Now, but I've, I've been thinking like, I really love nonfiction. I love telling people's stories, but I have so much like this, this underlying story I've been wanting to tell for so long that maybe it's time. Mm. It might be time. I think it, is. Oh, I think it might be. Well, I, I can imagine that you're somebody who, you know, obviously has a very positive outlook on things, always kind of keeping a hopeful interpretation. I say that because you're a Lions fan and you have oh, yeah. to. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what do you see, like, what, since you're talking AI again, Jason, like, how is that going to impact life as an author? Uh, the Authors Guild just put out an open letter saying, hey, if you're going to use our books to train your machine learning, that there needs to be compensation. But yeah, how far does this go? I, I struggle to believe that a machine could understand um, the depths of humanity the way that we will. And so I feel pretty secure there. Um, because what makes these books work is not the, the gunfights. That's fun. The action's fun. For me, Matthew read, um, there's a lot of soul to these characters. That's what I want to interject. At least that's what I want readers to see. He's really proud of his wife, uh, who he loves. He faces this moral conundrum of, I want to be a father, but I have to go save the world. But I want to be a husband, but I got to go be a door kicker. And there's a lot of nuance to that, that these emotional elements that we're, 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 we're tugging at and trying to manipulate. I think we're a long ways off from machines being able to do that because they won't understand us the way that we understand. And I, and I, and I really believe this too, by the way, the world would be a better place if everyone just slowed down, stopped talking for a second and considered their fellow, you know, human, like let's just all pump the brakes on some things. I mean, you say like one thing um, and people are in an uproar. It happened recently with my best friend's wife. Um, she just put something on Facebook that someone like in our HOA group didn't like, and it became like a huge thing. And I'm like, can we all just pretend for a minute that we all live in the same neighborhood and liked each other before that? Like, can we also like maybe calm down and, and try to understand like the person. And I don't think machines are in a hurry to do that. Um, I do think, we're probably a lot closer to them being able to write action sequences and things like that. But I don't think that's what brings people to the books. That's the fun part. We like that part, <clears throat> but it's the depth of the characters that you can achieve on the page by just shutting your mouth and listening sometimes and observing that. I think, I think we're still going to, we're going to beat the machine at that. I, I hope, I hope. Yeah, I think so, brother. Well, Ryan, Emma, I appreciate y'all coming on. And uh, I'm looking forward to Lethal Range. Looking forward to following you. I love following you. See what you're up to. Yeah, Hopefully it's going to be August 8th, correct? August 8th. Fantastic. 